0: Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth again. I just want to take this moment to thank all of you who have blessed us with a financial donation to help us produce these programs. And I want to thank all of you who have become Christ-centered partners with us. And for those of you who are considering becoming a partner, I want to thank you in advance uh, for just considering our ministry to be a part of this. So I just want to say, if you have not yet uh, blessed us with a financial donation, I just ask you to consider doing so by faith, and just to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit to bless us so we can produce more of these shows, it is our heart desire, which is also God's desire to make this teaching available to many, many more people. but it costs money to do so. So we are trusting God that you will obey and bless us back with whatever amount the Lord puts in your heart. So again, we thank you in advance. For your love, give donation into God's work so we can reach many, many more people. And may God bless you and keep you. And I pray in the name of Jesus that whatever you give back into this ministry, God will multiply that and bless you back abundantly, exceedingly, until it overflows. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, chapter 30 is a very, very amazing chapter because some of you may read this and say, well, How is this significant, friend? It is absolutely significant because the gist of chapter 30 is about making vows to the Lord. Before I even get into this uh, chapter, let's talk about the principle here. You have to remember that back then, this was almost 4,000 years ago, a vow or what somebody said out of their mouth was as good as a written contract that you and I today would sign in 2017. All right? And even si- besides signing a contract, our word is just as good as signing something. Today, if you were to go take a loan from the bank or if you were to go uh, buy a home, you would have pages, pages of endless legal language that you have to read through and then you have to sign and that signature is an agreement that you have agreed to the terms and conditions of that contract so now think about this back then the vow the verbal vow was like a written signature okay that uh, the israelites had to make their word was as good as a signature And the Lord had to really give specific instructions to guide or to direct how vows had to be carried out. Or if you will, how contracts had to be carried out. Because some people spoke quickly. Some people make thoughtless vows. We talked about some of this in the book of Leviticus. Again, here in the book of Numbers is more progressive revelation from the Lord giving guidelines how to regulate vows, all right? And this was really done to help the people. That way they can train themselves to think before they made a commitment to the Lord. They had to think before they they, they, they spoke. And this is so crucial even with us today. The Lord Jesus uh, taught us out of the Gospels, Matthew 5, verse 37 that our yes should be yes and our no should be no okay jesus christ was still teaching this principle because today there are people who get excited mm -hmm, about the things of the lord they get they are led by their emotions and before thinking they make a commitment to a church to a ministry They would say things such as, oh, oh, no, no, I will be there to serve every Saturday from four to six. Mm -hmm. Or they would quickly, I will give to this ministry every month, 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. They are so quick to to speak, but then they cannot do it. Boy, I tell you, we have to really learn to, to, to think before we make promises. God takes it seriously. All right? Also James uh, chapter 5 verse 12 is saying the same thing. We should be people who who say something and we mean it and we do it because that would be Christ like. So uh, while God gave these instructions about vows as we are about to go through in numbers chapter 30 these things still happen today in the body of Christ. Obviously, Jesus taught about this. So let's approach this with some significance here. So uh, let's begin here with um, verse 1. I am in Numbers chapter 30. Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. Verse 2, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, He must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Let me pause here for just a minute. In verse 2, it reads, when a man, this is not saying that it only pertains to a male. This is like when a man or a woman, mankind, okay? So you can read that as uh, when uh, a person makes a vow to the Lord, or takes an oath to obligate him or herself. So this pertains to male and and females equally. I needed to just highlight that. So the Lord went on to give instructions in verses um, 3 through 6. The Lord went on to give instructions pertaining to a young woman who is still living in um, um, her parents' home. When a young woman still living in her father's household makes a vow to the Lord or obligates herself by a pledge, verse 4, and her father hears about her vow or pledge, but says nothing to her, then all her vows and every pledge by which she obligated herself will stand. Let me pause here. I like the way the Lord is saying a vow is an obligation. It is an obligation. So you will be wise to think before you make a commitment. And as you will see, as we move forward here, this is talking a lot about a young woman or a woman who is married or a woman who is widowed or a woman who is divorced. You have to understand that back then, this was a society that was predominantly ruled and dominated by men. Okay? So this Laws were really supposed to help the women, okay, to, to protect them from making unnecessary vows, and then uh, men in the society use that against them. So the Lord did this to protect uh, the women, again, highlighting his, his protective care towards the weak. So we see how in, in uh, verse 3 there uh, and verse 4, we are learning something here that if this young lady is still at home with um, her parents, even though she can exercise her, her, her free will and her independence by making a decision, however, if her parents um, hear that and, they are, and, and and they apply wisdom and discern that it was a wrong vow that the young lady had made, the parents can nullify it. Again, this is teaching the parents that as much as the parents have to give the young child, or in this case, the young woman, independence to make her decision, at the end of the day, the parents have the responsibility to, to supervise the child's decision, to make sure that the decision the child is making is, has wisdom, is godly, Okay, because children, obviously, as we know, don't have that that experience. They don't have that life experience or that long term relationship with the Lord to make uh, certain godly, wise decisions. So here the parents have that responsibility to nullify that decision if they discerned that the young child made a decision that was not wise. That is what we are learning from those uh, verses, the parents' responsibility to oversee the child's decision. And uh, as we come to uh, verse 5, But if her father forbids her, when he hears about it, none of her vows or the pledges by which she obligated herself will stand. Just what I was saying, that the parent can can overrule or nullify the child's decision, and God would honor that. Verses um, 6 through verse 8. It's referring to a young woman who marries and then makes a decision or uh, makes a vow. Uh, all that is teaching us is that her husband can nullify her vow. Uh, obviously, if the husband descends that, the vow was not uh, done wisely. Okay? And if you come to verse 8, but if her husband forbids her when she hears about it, he nullifies the vow that obligates her to... Or the rash promise by which she obligates herself and the Lord will uh, will release her. Again, just explaining what I had just explained. That the Lord would honor the husband's decision to nullify the vow if her wife made that decision rashly. The Lord would um, honor uh, the husband's decision to nullify the vow. Which really highlights God's view of marriage. And this principle is really uh, taught out of uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5 verses 22 through uh, 33 that the husband is the head of the household. The husband is a spiritual head okay, of the family. So that is what we see happening here that the Lord would honor the husband's decision to nullify the vow or contract if the husband discerns that the wife made that too um, uh, uh, hastily or made that uh, in a hurry without wisdom. So we see uh, the Lord um, giving the husband that privilege to nullify her wife's rash, irrational obligation by making a vow. All right. And uh, even though the husband is the head of the household, Again, I talked about this in the book of Genesis just real quick. That husband is supposed to be the head of the spiritual household to the extent that this husband is is a man of God. This husband has a relationship with God through Christ. And this husband is exuding or manifesting Christ-like behaviors, mannerisms, as he governs or as he manages his home, all right? If if uh, such a husband is Christ-like, of course, then the wife would submit to the husband's decision. But uh, God regards a male and a female equally because the, the male and the female, both of us have inherited equal standing in Christ. So there is no discrimination between a male and a female in the eyes of God it is just that the lord had had dedicated the male as a spiritual head of the household again to the extent that the husband is a man of god and is christ centered so uh, i must say that so you don't take that out of context and if a, if an ungodly Pagan husband tells you to commit sin, you go to commit sin because he's the head of the household. No, 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 no. This is only applicable if the husband is a man of God. All right. Going to verse 9 here. The Lord just went on to say that if the vow is made by a, a woman who is divorced or a widowed, uh, where well, nobody would nullify that they are on their own. Again, that is not to say that the Lord despises a woman who is widowed or a woman who is divorced. No, that is not what this is saying. Obviously, we know that the Lord hates divorce. But but God is merciful. God is compassionate to the divorced and the widowed women. But uh, if they made such a vow... They would not have the kind of protection that a woman who is married would or a woman who still lives at home. That is all this is saying. Okay, so the rest of those verses just went on to explain what I just talked about the husband having the ability to nullify the vow of the wife. And if you think about this, isn't this very similar to what can happen today? If if a, if, if you are married and you have a joint account with your husband, you cannot just go to the bank and request for X amount of dollars and take it. The bank will say, no, 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 no. The husband's signature is required. They would have to hear from the husband to honor your request. Okay? And if the husband says don't give the money because it's a joint account, they won't give it. So it's the same principle here. All right. And then... um, Verse 13 is just reiterating. Her husband may confirm or nullify any vow she makes or any sworn pledge to deny herself. I already explained that. But look at verse uh, 14. It's powerful. But if her husband says nothing to her about it from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or the pledges binding on her. So what the Lord is saying is that if the husband... Heard the wife made this vow, and day after day he said nothing, then that vow will stand. So the principle here is that silence. When we sit quiet, we have spoken. There is nothing like silence. Okay, This this is awesome. Because the Lord is saying that if you, the husband, you are aware of this contract or this vow that your wife has made, and you do nothing, you just keep quiet, well, your silence means that the vow will be intact. Likewise, just generally in life, especially the things of God, of course, as Christians, everything in life has to pertain to the things of God anyway. When we take no action, mm -hmm, that that is a message right there. Okay? There are many people that Even though the Lord is saying that we should serve one another, we should give, we should forgive. There are people who are like, "Eh, I won't do nothing. I'm not committing any sin. Oh, yes. The Lord is telling us that when we are quiet, we are making a decision against him. All right. And again, remember, our actions complete our faith. So keep that in mind. Okay, we come down to... Verse 16, these are the regulations the Lord gave Moses concerning relationships between a man and his wife and between a father and his young daughter still living at home. So that brings us to the end of chapter 30. We now get into chapter 31. This uh, chapter... Before I even talk about this, some basic introduction is necessary. The gist of this chapter is that we, we would learn how the Lord would, would give order for a holy war, if you will. The Lord would give instructions for Moses to, to carry out revenge against the Midianites. And uh, thousands of Midianites would be killed. This is what is called a holy war. God gave orders. Now, do not take this uh, teaching as an excuse to go kill people saying that God instructed you to do that. That is no longer the case because Christ Jesus is a fulfillment of all of the Old Testament laws. We are learning these principles because the principles are the same. So God is never never going to give you instructions to go kill people. That will never happen, all right? Because you have to remember, the wages of sin is death. So so Jesus took upon the sin of the entire world upon his sinless body. So God is not going to send people to go kill people anymore because of sin. Jesus did that already. But let us learn the principles here. Now, let's take a look at verse 1. I am in Numbers chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, verse 2, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. Essentially, the Lord would tell Moses to prepare the Israelites' army to go attack and kill the Midianites. This would be Moses' last physical battle on the earth. Thereafter, Moses would die because of that disobedience that he committed uh, when uh, he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. We talked about that already. Verse 3, so Moses said to the people, arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites so that they may carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Now, before I even Proceed here to verse 4. Let's talk about who the majorites were. Okay? So who were the Midianites? The Midianites were wanderers. They were a tribe of people, a pagan nation, that were living en route to the promised land. They were wandering from place to place, looking for a place for their flocks, looking for a place to settle to raise their, their sheep and their cattle. So the, the, they were wanderers and they were right there en route to the promised land. And the Midianites were also the descendants of Abraham's second wife Keturah. Remember, we talked about Keturah in the book of Genesis. Okay. So uh, these were the descendants of uh, Abraham's uh, second wife uh, Keturah. And they were uh, extremely high court pagan people, they engaged in pagan worship, idolatry. okay? And also we talked about this in this book of numbers, okay? I, I believe uh, chapter 25, we talked about the fact that the um, the Midianites and Moabite women enticed, the Israelite men and the Israelite men committed sexual immorality and fell into idolatry as they worshipped their pagan gods, and the Lord was very upset, and thousands of the of them died. Remember the whole incident in Numbers uh, twenty-five. You can go back and it. So now we see the Lord very angry at what happened, as we discussed in a. Uh, Numbers uh, 25. And the Lord is going to give Moses direct uh, order to go attack and kill the Midianites. And you, you have to remember, while this punishment may seem very harsh, we've talked about the fact that God is omniscient. God knows all things. God knew, okay, that these people, these Midianites would not change. They were not going to Change. They were bent on doing evil. They were bent on uh, worshiping Satan. So God's final judgment, which was death, had to car- be carried out against them to just wipe them out. So that is what we see here. So it was a righteous, justified judgment. All right. So we come to verse 4. Sent into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So the Lord gave Moses instructions to go to each tribe of Israel and get one thousand men who would go into war against the Midianites and carry out this revenge and kill them. That is what this, uh, the rest of those verses are saying. And then in verse 6 we see how, uh, Moses carried out the instructions, and the priest at this time was Eliezer, Uh Went uh, ahead with the uh, soldiers to fight this war, and he took some articles from the sanctuary. It doesn't tell us, but it could it could mean articles of the uh, manna, the tablets, the stones. We don't know, but we also see Eliza carrying out his role as a priest there to go with the soldiers because he would pray and anoint them. And in verse uh, 7, we are told how the Israelites fought against the Midianites. And we see in verse 8, some of the people who were killed, including some of the kings. I want to just highlight here because we're going to learn something here about Balaam. And um, verse 8 reads, Among their victims were uh, Evie, Rechem, Zu, Ho, Reba, the five kings of Midian, they also killed Balaam, son of Bo, with a sword. Remember the whole thing about Balaam, the false prophet? Isn't this sad that he, to the best of our knowledge, he remained a counterfeit and he did not repent and he met his final end right here. We know that because uh, the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mentioned Balaam, okay, in 2 Peter as a counterfeit. That was out of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. And we also know that the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation, also men- mentioned the sin of Balaam. That was out of Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. So, to the best of our knowledge, Balaam did not repent and he died here. Isn't that unfortunate? Even though he came so close to knowing the true living God, but some people, it just goes to show you that some people, even though God can perform all the miracles, all the signs and wonders, they are just hardcore, hardened. Toward God and they've sold their soul to the devil. They won't repent. That was what happened to Balaam. And he died uh, here. Okay. So, uh, in verse 9, the Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds, flocks, uh, goods as plunder. Okay. So, essentially, the Israelites uh, won and they defeated. They they brought some uh, people captive. Verse eleven: They took all the plunder and spoils, including including the people and animals, and brought the captives, spoils, and plunder to Moses and Eliza, the priest, in front of the assembly. Um. Uh, verses uh, thirteen and fourteen are uh, just going on to explain how Moses and Eliza, the priest, and all of the leaders of the community, uh, they met outside the camp, and. In verse 14, Moses was very angry at the officers of the army or the soldiers, if you, if you will. And let's find out why Moses was angry. In verse 15, Moses said, Have you allowed all the women to leave? Remember, the soldiers had brought the women and brought them uh, as captives. So we see Moses very upset at them. Why they had allowed the women to leave, he said. Verse 16, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the power incident. We talked about this in Numbers chapter 25. So we see Moses here exhibiting a very holy anger at the soldiers. Why did you allow the women to leave? You were supposed to kill them. Okay, apparently the Lord has spoken to Moses uh, that these women should be killed as well. So we see Moses giving instructions for the women and the boys to be killed. It sounds very harsh, but the Lord was going to eradicate the wickedness and just their their impurity to be cleansed. That, that is what we see here. So all the women, obviously, who... Uh, were, were inclined to sexual immorality, were killed. And uh, only the, la- the girls who had who were virgins were to be kept alive uh, because they had maintained their purity and then they were uh, to proceed to get married. And, and as we will learn moving into this New Testament, some of them would later get married to the Israelite men, but these were virgin girls. You know, it sounds really harsh that the Lord would give orders for young boys to be killed. Hmm. But you have to remember, in this culture, even children were demon-possessed. And these people could not be redeemed. And this final judgment had to be carried out to just cleanse the the filth, the evil, from around the Israelites. So God had to carry out this final judgment punishment okay but like i explained at the introduction the lord would not do that today because jesus christ had died for the sins of the world so this was how god was dealing with uh, with sin back then uh, it was a final judgment for for certain people that weren't going to be changed that were demon possessed i mean if the lord had not killed some of these people they would have carried out their their, their demonic habits and contaminate other nations and even contaminate the Israelites. So the Lord had to really deal with this demonic spirit and this evil ways among the Midianites. That way he could preserve a nation for himself, the Israelites. And this was also a lesson for other nations who were going to copycat Uh, some of these demonic behaviors so those were some of the reasons why the lord had to carry out this righteous judgment okay so verses 19 all the way to verse 24 just went on to give instructions about purification in the camp after this mass killing this is interesting because the lord had given orders for this holy war if you will but still the soldiers or anyone who came in close contact with a dead person still had to go through purification. We had talked about the purification water in Numbers chapter 19. So we see that in operation here where the Lord is saying that they have to be purified with that water so they can be cleansed in order for them to regain fellowship in the camp. And we also see a different type of purification mentioned here. In verse 22, gold, silver, bronze, iron, uh, and anything else that can withstand fire must be put through the fire and then it will be cleaned. So even the gold and the silver was put through the fire for purification purposes. Wow. Just highlighting how the Lord is a living God. Okay, even a dead person could not be around the camp where he dwelt among the Israelites. Purification had to take place because we serve a living God, a God of I am. All right. Okay, so we come to the last few verses of this uh, chapter here. Verses 25, all the way to... 54 will bring us to the end of this chapter. These verses went on to describe how the spoils or the goods from the Midianites were distributed among the soldiers and the priests and everybody else. You can read those verses on your own, but I want to highlight a few uh, things here just to highlight God's fairness. Let's take a look at verse 25. The Lord said to Moses, You and Eliza, the priest, and the family heads of the community are to count all the people and animals that were captured. Verse 27, divide the spoils equally between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. Verse 28, from the soldiers who fought in the battle, set apart as tribute for the Lord one out of every five hundred, whether people, cattle or donkeys. Here's the principle here. The Lord is giving an order for the goods to be distributed fairly. We serve a God who is fair and just. But we also see the Lord saying that he wants his share of the goods, okay? So the principle here is that when we we win victories in our life, when we overcome in our lives, when we get that promotion at our jobs, when we get that extra money, okay, from that tax refund, We should remember God wants his share. Okay? We should not forget God is looking because he is the one who allowed that victory to be won by you in the first place. So it is only fair that you give God a share of your victory. When you get that promotion, that extra $5,000 that you're going to make this year, remember that God wants a share. Take some of that as a thanksgiving to the Lord. And give to your local church or to another Christ-centered ministry that is proclaiming the, the gospel of Jesus Christ as a thank you back to the Lord. That is what we are learning here. And then the rest of those verses just described in detail the abundantly, exceedingly uh, goods that the Israelites are uh, took from the Midianites. You can read those verses on your own. The sheep, the cattle, a lot of abundance. Obviously, the the victory was really of the Lord. And we can see the exceedingly abundant blessing that that, uh, the Israelites captured from the Midianites. Uh, We come to verse 41, Moses gave the tribute to Eliza, the priest, as the Lord's part, as the Lord commanded Moses. So Moses just took all of these goods and gave it to Eliza and Eliza was going to uh, carry out God's instructions to um, distribute the spoils you we come to verse you can read the rest of those verses i want to highlight verse 48 here powerful then the officers who were over the units of the army essentially the soldiers the officers uh the officers rather who were over the the soldiers came to moses um and said, I am in verse uh, 49, your servants have counted the soldiers under our command and not one is missing. So we have brought as an offering to the Lord the gold articles each of us acquired, the, um, uh, the, the bracelets, the signet rings, and the necklaces. The principle here is that because this battle was from the Lord, because this battle was a holy war, As ordained by God, not a single soldier from the Israelites' camp died. Glory to God. That is what this is telling us. So when God gives us specific instructions to carry out a task, we can be sure that the victory will be 100%. Because God does not do things haphazardly. God's way is 100% victory 100% success so we see how here or we see here how no soldier was missing from the battle so these soldiers came to give uh, thanksgiving to the lord just like i had said before when when the lord delivers us from our battles today it could be it could be battles with pornography it could, it could be battles with uh, bankruptcy it could be battles with a wayward child. Whenever we, we we get that victory, we should always remember to give God thanks, okay? Because that really shows how much we appreciate his work and presence in our lives. The rest of those verses went on to describe the uh, amount of goods and the articles that the Israelites had uh Captured from the Midianites, and in verse fifty-two, there we see all the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that Moses and Eliza presented as a gift to the Lord weighed. Wow, sixteen thousand seven hundred and fifty shekels. That is, or that was, a lot of wealth back then, and in the book of. Exodus and even Leviticus, I I talked about how to translate the shekels to today's currency. So you can go back and re-listen to that. So that brings us to the end of this session. So what are the major principles we have learned from uh, chapters 28 through 31? Three major principles. Principle number one, God's desire for fellowship with his chosen people, the Israelites, and even with us today. Okay, I talked about how these pre-ordained festivals, these daily, monthly offerings and sacrifices were given by God to Moses so that the Israelites can bring their sacrifices and offerings to him. That way he would accept them and fellowship with them on a regular daily basis. We saw that in operation here. And I also talked about the God-ordained festivals as a way to break down day-to-day boredom in our lives. Okay, God wants us to, to rest, to have that time of reflection, rededication, reconnection with him. And he used these festivals to trained the Israelites to do that, and also through the festivals, they were to build a trust in God and look unto Him as their provider, and that is still applicable to us today, especially as New Testament believers. The biggest festival that we have is Easter, when we are supposed to pause and reflect on the goodness of God. It used to be that, at least uh, the disciples, the uh, before Jesus was resurrected did not quite get the full revelation of Jesus going on that cross so uh, the uh, Apostle Peter rebuked Jesus when Jesus said he was going to die on the cross and then even after Jesus' death the disciples abandoned him and they fled because they were afraid they didn't quite understand but after uh, the resurrection they came to understand so today on Friday, that day that Jesus died on the cross, we call it Good Friday. Okay, we call it Good Friday because we know that he died for our sins. So we celebrate Good Friday as a day that Jesus died for my personal sins, for your personal sins. And then we celebrate Easter as the day that he rose from the dead. So we celebrate these holidays as New Testament believers Uh, that just like the Jews back then celebrated all these festivals as a way for us to reconnect to reflect on the goodness of God to, to bring to our memory what God has done in our lives we also talked about the importance of what comes out of our mouth. we talked about the importance of vows We went over the principle that God had to train the Israelites to learn for their yes to be yes and for their no to be no. So he had to give them all those laws. I also talked about that in the New Testament. Jesus teaches us in the Gospels that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. So we have to learn to be people who make faithful commitment towards the things of God and stick to it. So, what is the major application? This is obvious. Today, God still wants fellowship with us on a daily basis. Obviously, He is indwelling every true believer. Okay, so we do not need to wait for certain occasions such as Easter or Good Friday or Christmas to pause and reflect on the presence of God in our lives or to pause and reflect. To give God thanks. We can do that. And we should do that every day. At the very least. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Okay? Even though holidays such as Good Friday and Easter are good. Because we can rest. It could be a special day. That we truly go into deep meditation. We should do those things every day. We should never forget the goodness of God. We should never forget what Jesus Christ has done for us as Christians. I hope you receive all of this in Jesus' name. So if you have been listening to me and you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Like you've been listening to me. Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of these rules and regulations that we have just gone over here in these few chapters out of the book of Numbers. You do not have to offer all the sacrifices. That is no longer necessary. Jesus Christ was our perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life You cannot have a relationship with the only living God of the heavens and the earth without coming through Jesus Christ. So if you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. The Bible teaches us out of Acts chapter 4 verse 12 that there is no other name given unto man, meaning given unto mankind by which salvation must come through it can only come through the person jesus christ because he was the perfect fulfillment of all of god's laws that i have been discussing in this podcast jesus himself said i am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the father except through me so if you believe in your heart That Jesus Christ was, is God 100% and was a man 100% and if you believed that, see you have to remember before Jesus Christ became a man, he was God and he is God. If you believe that Jesus Christ was and is God 100% and he died on that cross for your sins, if you believe that in your heart, The Bible says all you have to do is confess that with your mouth if you believe it and Jesus Christ will come into your life. It's as simple as that. Okay? So if you believe that in your heart and you need help saying that, just say this simple prayer. Again, I have to always say it is not the prayer that will end you a relationship with God. It is believing in your heart that Jesus Christ was God, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that God the Father raised him from the dead on the third day. If you believe that and you say that out of your mouth, you will become a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you are ready, say this simple prayer, even while you are driving with your eyes open, God is looking into your heart. Simply say, dear God, I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I accept your forgiveness, Jesus Christ. I believe in my heart you died for my sins. And you were raised from the dead on the third day. And today you are alive. Forgive me. For all of my sins. For I am a sinner. I need you as my savior. I ask you Jesus Christ. To come into my life. Right now. And change me. Make me. Into a new person. By faith. I believe. Father God. That you have answered my prayer. By faith. I believe. Jesus Christ has accepted me. And today. I declare. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I denounce all other ways. Help me, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can walk in accordance with your decrees. Strengthen me, God. By faith, I believe I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, based on the authority of God's word, you are a Christian, And you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And when you die, you will spend eternity with God. And contact us so we can help you with more resources so you you can grow as a follower of Christ. And the next thing now is for you to look for a Bible-believing church and become a member and study the Bible, fellowship with other believers, And put God first in everything you do. And he will change your life day by day, moment by moment, and you will be placed. And for all the listeners, Father God, I pray for all the listeners today. Lord, teach us how to put these principles into practice in our lives because we want to see godly results. Strengthen us with your Holy Spirit. We are believing by faith. You are guiding us moment by moment into all truths. We thank you for your social good, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is a day the Lord has made. So rejoice in it as you proceed with the rest of your day. I am Chris Horne. Goodbye.